This episode is brought to you by Belulu Studios, a small event space located in Savannah, Georgia at 3131 Bull Street. For more information, please go to belulustudios.com. That's B-U-L-U-L-U studios.com. Hi, hello, this is Kevin. Thank you for listening to The Ten Frame. In this episode, Kelly and I talked with Krista Jones, an artist who primarily works with paint and is currently based in Atlanta, Georgia. She talks about concepts that underpin several of her paintings, and we also learn about her work that she is displaying at the Gathered Six Group Exhibition. This is currently on view at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Atlanta, Georgia, until January 13th of 2024. For more information about this exhibition, visit mochaga.org. If you would like to learn more about my own work, follow me on Instagram at Kevin Will Paint. And last but not least, you can find Kelly on Instagram at Kelly K. Thompson Art. I hope that you enjoy the show. Let's jump in. Okay. First thing we'd like to ask is um, if you could just let people know where they can find you. Uh. Well, there's a couple ways. I'm on most of the social media. You can you can check me out on Jonesy Art ATL on Instagram, um, and then also JonesyArtATL.com is my website. I usually keep that pretty updated. I have events listed there. I have kind of a blog where sometimes I'll post new things that are happening uh, or things that are happening. So those are the two best. Right on. So what is happening right now? I know you have some work at gathered correct i do uh i do have a piece uh in the gathered six uh exhibition up at mocha ga um so the museum of contemporary art of georgia um this particular piece rising um is also part of a body of work that i just started maybe about a year ago give, give or take year and a half ago something like that i mean it's been evolving even before that, um, but I had a solo exhibition up at the Hudgens Center for Art and Learning back in May, um, and Rising was a part of that exhibition as well. So it's nice to see it in a new space uh, amongst some other amazing artists, uh, including Kevin here, who uh, is on the other end of this. Right. Um, so with that, I I have that open. That's open until January 13th, and they just did a a little virtual tour kind of walkthrough to you for anybody that can't be present to see that exhibition. So on my social media, I just kind of sent that link out to you for, for anybody that wants to see the exhibition, but can't be there in person. When um, is which, that, is that a link that people can just go to? Is it a, a recorded video yeah. or is it going to be a live thing? Well, it's, like it's the, uh, so sometimes there's like virtual tours that real estate companies use to show their house. Well, Mocha GA created that similar environment on their website. And when you right. click on somebody's artwork, like Krista's work, it'll show her maybe um, website or what the piece is about or stuff like that. Um, I think it has the the exact description that's printed out next to okay. each one of our works. Mm -hmm. uh, so that way it'll have like a very brief bio and um whatever the artist actually wanted to pair with the artwork as far as their statement goes it's done um, really nice it's 
I went yeah. to it last night. It's it's really good the way they formatted it. Yeah, yeah that's good for me because I, 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 I want to go and see it in person, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to. So that's that's going to be a good link for me. Check out everything. Yeah, that's and on. I I also have a, a virtual tour of my exhibition that was at the Hudgens Center in the Fowler Gallery. So that was one of the things that I have on my website too nice. um, cool. under solo exhibitions. So even though the exhibition is no longer there and can no longer be seen, you can still actually step into the space virtually and see how it was positioned and stuff like that. I mean, I think the the way that Mocha did theirs, I really like that you can click on the the piece and then kind of it zooms in and it shows you a really clear photograph of the the painting or the the installation or what whatever it is. I wish I had done that with mine, <laughs> but uh, it's nice that it's nice that that's that's in the current exhibition. So. So the piece that you have um, currently at MoCA, can you talk a little bit about it? It's a framed canvas, I think, right? It's oil or acrylic. Um, it's it's not, actually not it, well, framed, stretched. I think stretched. Yes. Uh, so it's it's a rather large canvas, um, six feet by five feet, so seventy-two inches by sixty inches. Um, it actually is meant to not only be shown like singularly like it is in mocha um but it also has two other paintings that are of the same size that um it can be viewed with side by side so all three of them in kind of a non-traditional triptych uh and the reason i say that is each one of them can stand on their own but they also can live together in conversation with each other and so in my solo ex and i do this a lot with my work actually um i like the idea of creating pieces that can be in conversation with other works that I have and sometimes even other works that are not mine. So the Mocha GA exhibition, this was not planned, but, uh, you know, the way that they curated the show, they put my piece right next to um, a, a fellow artist and a friend of mine, uh, Grace Kisa, and she has a installation next to it called journeying and the two pieces really talk to each other really well in that space. Uh, just the visual uh, images of the two pieces, I think are in conversation with each other. So a little bit about, I guess, rising, that's the name of the piece. I feel like it's a, it's a good example of kind of all the elements that I'm trying to put into this new body of work, um, which my solo exhibition was actually called patchwork and it's kind of the umbrella term of what I'm doing with this new body of work. So it's not only a patchwork of lived experiences, uh, glimpses of things that we, you know, see in our, in our human experience, but it's, it's a body of work that's helped me to kind of cathartically process through things that have been occurring, especially uh, in real time. So while I was working on this body of work in my in my solo exhibition to kind of debut it, I guess, you know, there was a lot, a lot going on in my personal world. Uh, my mother's health was declining. She passed away. And I finished finished the exhibition right after that. So it was kind of thank you. Um, so that's, you know, just to give you an example, I think art for me not just now, but throughout my life has always been a means of processing my own human experience. And so with this body of work, what I'm 
trying to convey is not just my experience of the world, but I like the idea of capturing colors and glimpses of things that, you know, can be translated based on your own lived experience. Like, I don't really want to sit here and tell someone exactly what the work is. I have a kind of a framework of what I'm trying to do in this work. And mostly that is, you know, capturing a, you know, I want the audience or the viewer to have an experience when they're looking at this work. I want them to pick up on things and kind of create their own story from it. So I have my own, of course, and the intentions I put into work. Um, you know, I also uh, work with a lot of symbolism. Most of the time I just call myself a symbolist because it shows up in my mural work, uh, in my public artwork, and it also shows up in my studio practice. What are some of the go-to um, symbols that you um, pull from or draw from? Um, so, well, definitely, I think in both my public works and uh, in my studio work, um, you'll see kind of a long history of avian themes. So bird shapes um, and things that might kind of be within the, the realm of that. So like egg shapes, nesting kind of things. And I think it's not that I'm really trying to paint birds although I find them interesting. I, I think I'm, you know, I'm using birds kind of as a source of symbol for freedom, freedom of movement. Um, and in this series or in this body of work patchwork, you'll also notice in a lot of the paintings, there's going to be sort of aerial view from above. So that's also kind of pairs with that, but that's more about perspective, um, changing our perspective and how we see things. I don't know if that answered your question or not. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I got what I was looking for. When when you talk about conversation and your pieces speaking to one another uh, when they're paired together or with other pieces, can you elaborate a little bit on that and, and how that plays into your process? I mean, are you thinking about that while you're making or is that something that just organically happens? So, I mean, everything in my work is pretty intentional um, and structured. My paintings are rather complex. I plan these out. So much like my murals that I work on, I don't just intuitively start painting. These are these are very mapped out. I usually um, plan out kind of mock-ups of my work. As I'm painting though, of course I allow for some more intuitive movement in other words colors sometimes shift from original color palettes that i might have wanted to use just based on the environment or how i'm feeling or how i want it to feel but as far as pieces being in conversation with each other that is intentional ahead of time too for instance i have two larger works one's hanging in my living room right now and um the other one i'm in process of uh, hopefully finding a permanent home for. So, but they, one is called Farewell Transmission, the other is Greetings from Above. And originally in my kind of preliminary thoughts about this, the, these two pieces, they were one, one piece. And I made a, a very intentional decision to separate them and sever them and make them two separate pieces 
pretty large paintings. One is uh, 65 inches by 60, and I think the other one's around 60 by 41, something like that. So they are within the same kind of color palette because they are actually supposed to be together. Um, but when I painted them, I decided I wanted to position them on the longest parts of the gallery space facing each other so that when you walk into the space, there was this pull between the two because the intention was they were supposed to be together. And, you know, the separation there, I think, made them stronger, uh, stronger pieces. So that's kind of gives you an idea. Um, and then other ones, uh, for instance, Rising is like the centerpiece to three paintings that can live together in the space. And I have a kind of a performance thing that's coming up. I can talk about that a little bit with the Atlanta Contemporary Ensemble that's coming up in January, which is using those three together uh, as inspiration for chamber music. So, nice. which is other things I like to do. I like to see how other people interpret my work um, because I'm more interested in how viewers translate it I really am much more interested in that because I've already gotten what I need out of the work. It's cathartic for me to, to conceptualize and to execute it. But on the other side of that, I think it's, it's so much more expansive to see how other people are connected with the work. And through that connection, I'm connected to them, whether I'm there standing with the work, talking to them or not. Um, and that's kind of at the root of my work is about collective human experience and how we are all connected so yes i can almost visualize that where there are paintings on either side of a gallery where you started them together and then separated them but they're in conversation with oh i i was just going to say what i found interesting about um well this ongoing body of work this is something that i'll continue to explore uh and i feel like it's it's rolling over into not just two-dimensional works, but installations and and sculptural pieces too. So, and it translates well in those kinds of ways as well. But I think it felt very successful to me when I started to speak to other people, not just other artists, but also other artists um, that have very different cultural backgrounds for me um, and that have grown up and worked in different countries. You know, some of the things that they were seeing in some of the work uh, and their stories that they were sharing with me and what it made them remember about their own life without asking them, mind you. Uh, so this this as soon as this started happening, um, I realized that the work was successful and it was doing what I wanted it to do. And that was to help people be reflective and to give them a space to kind of spend some time with. Uh, I, you know, I want my work to, I want someone to be able to sit with it for a while. I was going to, I guess, take the opposite um, approach to the conversation. And it's only, I'm only saying it because it's fresh on my mind on my way over here. I was listening to um, a podcast with Rick Rubin and he was saying, oh, um, he was referencing his latest book and he was saying that once he doesn't care about at all about the person that receives his work, 
he's only concerned. He's, he said something about like, I'm paraphrasing, but he is only concerned about making the work the best that he possibly can. And then his job, his job is over. Like there's, he doesn't have anything else and it's not his problem if they don't like it or if they don't appreciate it or anything. I straddle both. I can definitely see what he's saying, but also, I mean, I want to know what people are thinking sometimes. I think so. So in response to that, um, because I, I really, I love his perspective on the world. Uh, and I really love his writing as well. Um, and with the work that I'm doing right now, I would say it's the most freeing work that I've probably ever created because I am not, I'm actually not concerned about how it's received. In other words, once I've created it, I don't need I know I don't need someone to like receive it the way I, you know, what I put in it. Uh, it people are free to like take from their own experience, whatever they see in the work, I guess. So it's, if that makes sense. Um, Definitely. Now I'm interested in hearing what people have to say, but it doesn't change whether it's successful or not to me. You know what I mean? So some people may, that's okay. It's, it would be exhausting if I tried to be likable to everybody on the planet that's that's an impossible feat (laughs) so it's a world a weird world that we live in as artists and even you know as a musician because we have to i mean we don't have to i guess but it's nice to make money and it's nice for people to consume our whatever we're making so i like it's i think with yeah go ahead sorry uh, i'm just trying to say something that I mean, I, as much as I do it for myself, my art for myself, there's, I'm at the crossroads where I want to make money from my work. So I also want to people to appreciate it to a level that they'll buy it. You know, I think there's both of those things. Yeah, Artists, you, you try to separate yourself from the other side. I'm interested in what other people have to, that, that what other people think about it. Not that I, I don't think the success of a piece is hinged upon what other people think. I think the aesthetics. Su- yeah, I think it's successful if you get out of it what you need. Mm-hmm. You know, if that to right. me that's that's a successful cool. piece. However, as an artist, you know, you're putting something of yourself out there, so there's a little vulnerability there whether you say there isn't or not. I think there, there there's kind of baked in something there that you need you need a little bit of acceptance, or that piece needs to um, to connect at some level with some person if you want to sell it. You know, it, it is a commodity in right. some way. Um, so there, there's definitely a fine line, I think. There, we interviewed this uh, a local artist in Savannah. Her name's Autumn Gary, and she made an interesting comment. Um, she also does community work, uh, community outreach at one of the local museums, and she is really excited about when kids draw or carve into desks, uh, not the act of destroying the property, but the act of, like she said something about there's two aspects of it, the act of somebody wanting to put something out into the world, and then the fact that they leave it on the desk for the world to consume it. Um, If you've never met her, then it might sound a little abstract of what I'm saying, but. No, it's okay. Trying to tie it together. Um I, th- I think I would just want to speak on the 
uh, that word success uh, real quick as far as, you know, it's uh, paired with whether a piece of art or show or whatever it is, is successful. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, um, success looks like several different things. One, it's successful already because I've had my cathartic process through making the work. And so with that being said, just even creating it and putting it out in the world, I think is a success because there's so many people out there that don't even get to that point. So I feel successful in that way. And when I was talking about how people receive it or, you know, if they can draw from their own lived experience, that to me is the intention of creating the work was successful. So, you know, whether the work is successful or not, I think it is going to be different depending on what your needs are, you know, uh, depending on, of course, I'm, I'm a full-time artist. This is how I you know, pay my mortgage. Uh, but it's not just one thing that I do as an artist. You know, that's that's the thing. It's like I do a lot of things uh, in the artistic realm, uh, in the art industry. So, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it can just be one thing. And also I might be bored with that. So <laughs> yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, and I think that's also a good segue for us too to talk about some of the other things that you are doing in the artistic oh. realm. And you, you talked about um, pairing some work with music. And I'd also like to talk too about, um, about your mural work, because I know there, there's some of that too, and, and it's kind of public of facing um, things. So um, either one or, or however you want to segue that, I'd, I'd li- I really like the idea of, you know, the different types of artistic expression where you have visual art with, with music. How did that come about? Well, um, so that, I mean, I'm a musician first, first, uh, let's get that out there. Um, I was, I didn't know that about uh, me anymore. Uh, so I'm a vocalist and a drummer, but I'm a drummer without drums right now. Um, you're talking to two drummers right here too. So, (laughs) uh, you know, since I was like 14 and, um, I was in the experimental noise scene here in Atlanta for a number of years. Um, and so I, you know, I used to play out in public and on stages and get paid to be a musician and stuff like that. What um, kind of drums now, did you have? Was it set or? My very first, yeah, my very first drum set uh, was a Ludwig drum set with Zildjian yeah, cymbals back in the That's what I had. 80s. Um, and I was taking, this is it's kind of like a history story on me, uh, but I was 14 I was taking drum lessons when I lived in Hawaii and and you know and I was practicing at home just like on whatever I could practice on because I didn't have a drum set and and I asked my dad I said hey can I get a drum set and he said well if you want one you're gonna have to go work for it he's like and I'll I'll sign off on something so you can go get a job so that's what I did um I went and got a job at 14 years old and worked at Burger King just long enough to earn enough money to get my drum set. And then I quit and I swore to myself, I would never work in food or this, you know, fast food ever again. And I haven't. So, (laughs) uh, but that was the start of that. So, and I've had, I had a DW set for a while. I had a Gretsch set for a while. Um, Is that what you used in the the instrumental music that you're doing? Is that used a drum set or did you use electronic 
equipment. I used whatever I could find. Yeah. Um, so I also am a drummer that's had more guitars than I can count. I only have a couple right now. Um, and I do some digital music type stuff. A lot of my promo videos that you see uh, for my mural work, it's music that I've done. Um, I have some collaborative albums. I've been on other people's albums um, and for my solo exhibition, um, a dear friend of mine, Nathan Brown, and we've known each other for 20 plus years. He's also a musician here in Atlanta. Um, he came to my exhibition and basically did a music interpretation of the works while the opening was happening and, and did that live. And we were working together to piece those together with the artwork um, and create like a some sort of book basically. So that's one thing that I'm doing. Um, the Atlanta Contemporary Ensemble, I'll segue into that. Yeah. How about that since we're talking about Perfect. music? Um, I honestly, I just, I don't see music and visual art different. Um, I see them as form of expression and I've had to have some kind of like way to express myself uh, since I can remember. And so it just looks different sometimes. Sometimes it's music, sometimes it's art, sometimes it's murals, sometimes it's writing. It just really, it's it's changed. I've just put most of my focus on visual art in the last eight years because I quit my design job and decided to commit to this full time. So, um, and that's where all of my energy has been funneled is into visual art, you know, public art, I don't know if that was in my plan years ago, but it's it's something that's happened and evolved and I'm very grateful for. Anyway, the Atlanta Contemporary Ensemble, I've actually worked with them before. So there's a festival called Sound Now Festival. It usually happens, I think, every year. Um, with the pandemic, it got weird. Um, they reached out to me in 2019 I had a very busy year in 2019 um, and wanted me to showcase some of my artwork. So basically what it is, is, you know, there was three paintings that were picked that I picked. And then they put out a call for compositions like contemporary chamber music compositions that, uh, you know, were inspired by my my artwork. And so then we selected the three pieces they put together on ensembles to perform them and choreographers and two dancers to perform kind of a contemporary dance number with it. So it's kind of like dance music and visual art all working together, which I think is interesting. So it didn't happen when I thought it was going to happen because we ended up in the pandemic. But um, fast forward forward. Um, that particular number happened a couple years later and they reached back out to me, um, recently and asked me if I would want to participate again. And, and I chose rising, which is at, at Mocha GA right now. And also it's two sibling pieces, Chimera and in thirds. And so that's what these are kind of, this performance will be based on. So, and that happens January, January 28th. I had core dance indicator. So, so the foundation of this um, performance or this collaboration 
is the visual art, correct? So the the music is kind of a um, an extrapolation of that. So I, that, it's. I was going to yeah. say that if that's the case, to me, that's the, I love that idea because usually it's the other way around. A lot of visual artists, and we want to talk about this a little bit too, create to music. A lot of artists will say, "Well, this was inspired while I was listening to this piece of music," but rarely or less often to me that you find it the other way around. When they reached out about this, I mean, I was immediately on board because I like the idea of seeing how visual art is interpreted by others in general, but like also through music and dance. So that was kind of, it kind of, I guess it aligns with what this body of work is doing. Also this new body of work that I'm working on. Um, it's just a different way to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. We need more of that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited. They just picked the compositions and I just posted about that this morning, actually. So the composers have been selected and the pieces and I've heard them and they're quite interesting. So it's always a, a nice surprise uh, to see, you know, and I'm like, I wonder which one that's supposed to be paired with. So, you know, and, and like I said, all three of these paintings, they, you know, kind of circling back to what we were talking about. And you asked if I ahead of time know that the pieces are going to be in conversation with each other or if they're going to work together. And, and yes, I do. So with, with these three, I have a relatively small studio. It's in my home. Um, and people are always surprised by that because my work is pretty large and I don't, I don't have a space where I can work on three six foot canvases at the same time. So I work on these singularly, um, and which adds more complexity to making things work together and making sure the colors blend because I, I don't just use paint straight out of the tube. Everything is mixed as I go. Um, and so, yeah, to be able to, you know, have these kind of elements blend into the next painting is, uh, it's kind of a fun challenge. So, um, and I, and I use acrylic also, um, just to talk a little bit about what kinds of, uh, materials I'm using to what, create some of these paintings. Um, what type of acrylic are you using? It depends. I, I have a preference to acrylic over oil for several reasons. One, I like the very rapid, fast, dry time that acrylic provides. Um, it also makes it extremely challenging to do the kind of work that I do, which for me adds a level of this like kind of cathartic processing. I like to move very quickly through things um, and make my decisions pretty rapidly. Um, and then I also like playing with the idea of, can I make this particular medium work to resemble oil without adding any sort of like slow, like, you know, processing to it. Um, so it just, it kind of gives me an added level of challenge, um, like it's not challenging enough to do these complicated paintings. But <laughs> when you say when you say you sometimes you try to make it work like oil, how explain that a little bit? Um, I mean, as far as blending straight to canvas, so um, you know, my 
as far as like some of the blends and so forth, the smoothness of it, I feel like in some of my paintings resembles oil work more than it would acrylic. Um, and then also to some transparency work that I do with some of my canvases as well. So these are very layered a lot of times, not just visually uh, complex with a lot of information, um, but also I kind of in my history, like before, you know, there was a there was a pretty hard time in my life where I I couldn't really afford canvas. I couldn't afford supplies. I used whatever I could to create because for me it was art was just a way to to process life and get these feelings out. Um, and it still is to a degree. Just uh, now I can afford to, you know, buy and stretch my own canvases and so forth. But back then, a lot of times I would I would paint over and over and over and over on a canvas just because I needed to to paint. So there are old canvases that probably have three, four paintings underneath them. Um, and I, you know, the research I've done, it's not uncommon for artists to paint over their work. And I don't paint over my work because I don't like it anymore. It's just sometimes it's not relevant to what I'm doing anymore, or it's not... It does. It feels like it served its purpose, and so with these newer works, um, when I started the when I started the series, I actually used a couple older canvases from like the late '90s. And when I was trying to figure out what this body of work was before, I kind of had a very solid understanding of what I wanted to do. Um, some of the earlier pieces are on top of older works because I was thinking, you know, how do I combine uh, kind of this old self and new self and, you know, older experiences and newer experiences and how do I blend the, these things together? And also how do I take some of the inspiration from, uh, you know, different art eras, like, cubism but it's not cubist you know surrealism but it's not surrealist but there are elements and some aspects of those types of works that I appreciate uh, like playing with multiple perspectives at the same time uh, that's seen in this new work and it's very intentional so sometimes you might be looking at a piece like rising for instance and it you can definitely feel that you're staring at a landscape but like, are you looking at it from above? Are you looking at it from the side? Well, you're kind of looking at it from all views and, and this is intentional. So, but it's not tradition, like traditional cubism. Um, so for me, this body of work was just, how do I bring all these things, all these complex human things that I've, I've you know, been inspired by or that I appreciate or that I've been through and how do I just kind of drop them all in this, you know, space and have them live together and be kind of cohesive in that space. So, so this podcast is kind of focused on emerging artists. And sometimes we ask, you know, do you have any advice for other you know, emerging artists? Um, I love that question, actually. Um, I think the, I think the biggest thing that I can share to anyone that is 
approaching or in the midst of or heck has even been doing this for a long time but mainly emerging and trying to figure this out is um get really good at rejection like you have to have a thick skin and what i mean by that is it's not you like there is literally someone out there there is a market for everyone and whatever you do it doesn't really matter and um with that being said like you know, when I made this commitment, like I wouldn't still be doing this if, if I hadn't gotten really good at just being like, all right, well, that didn't work. You know, what's next? And you just shake it off really quick. Um, and it takes practice. I think that, I think that the word practice is important. Uh, so when I say my art or my studio practice or my public practice, it's because that's what it is. It's like, you know, we get really good at those things that we practice. And one of those things is really just knowing that if you keep moving, you know, the rejections rejections are going to happen. I think that most artists, we don't talk about that as much because you see these like accomplishments, right? You see the awards, you see the exhibitions that happen, you see the murals that happen. But what you don't see is all the work in the background. Like I have a mural that's been in the works for two years and it's about to happen. I'm going to be signing my contract soon. It's like there is a lot of background work that happens before, you know, it ever comes to, into the public view. Same goes for like a body of work or, you know, most artists are pretty like isolated in their practice and we're doing what we're doing. And then and then you see it. So um, I think staying connected to community, I think having a collaborative spirit is important in this work also. Um, I, I don't believe in competition. I gave that up. You know, I, I played sports. I was a soccer player. I did roller derby. Like, so I know what competition looks like. But life is so much sweeter and easier if you move through it thinking that, you know, I'm collaborating, that there is plenty of all of us, you know, for all of us to go around. So it's like, you know, and I've, and I've built really good friendships in that way. Like some of my best friends are artists that I've worked with. Um, so I think get good at rejection, have a collaborative spirit and um, stay humble you know, I think um, humility is a is also something you have to practice doing that, giving back. And, you know, I think my public my public work is where I do that. So my my studio work is is a catharsis for me. It's very personal. Um, and I was once told that my work was too personal and I would never sell it. And that absolutely has not been the case. So I say don't listen to all the professors that tell you certain things because sometimes they're wrong. Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's really important for other artists to hear is that there are successful artists out there that have the same experience of being rejected over and over and over again. And and All also, yeah, exactly. And you're right. They most, especially younger artists who are aspiring to get to a certain level, there are a lot of roadblocks in the way for all artists even the most successful ones have gone through that and also the humility part i think is really important because artists don't work in a vacuum you know you're working with there there are collaborative um 
elements that have to happen, even if you're, you're an artist who likes to work in isolation. You know, if your art is out there, you're working with somebody who helps you put together a show, whether they're, you know, uh, a curator or a gallerist, it's less uh, likely for them to want to work with somebody who doesn't have that humility and that, you know, spirit of collaboration. And I, and I think, too, I'd like to add professionalism is also something else that um, that I not only value in other artists and artists like arts administrators uh, that I work with, um, but it is something that I put at the forefront of what I do um, because this is my career. Um, this is what I do. Um, it's it's a part of me. I don't separate myself from my work. Um, and so because of that, like I, I set a certain bar for the way I want to show up in the world and also how I expect others to show up if they work with me. Um, and so, you know, it's, uh, I think it's, it's important to kind of try to change those societal like stereotypes that we, that we placed upon artists. Um, I, and I'm doing that as an individual and, and how I show up. And one of those things is, you know, I make sure, you know, I follow up with people. I answer emails. I show up on time. I'm very prompt, you know, like all of these things that sometimes I feel like there's a, a more laxed sort of stereotype placed on artists like we're just sitting around doing nothing and slapping paint around uh, or something I don't know maybe it's changing but I still I still like showing up in a way and that also probably comes a little bit from some of my corporate background I mean I was a designer for 13 years I worked on the newspaper industry very high paced deadline oriented uh, business and you know worked in sales and so all of those things that's another thing too it doesn't matter what you've done in your life I think that at any point we can pivot and change what we do so this is another suggestion to anyone that's really trying to get into this I before this body of work even though you know it's a lifetime like when somebody asked me like, well, how long did it take you to do, to do that? I'm like, well, 50 years, because like, it's a lifetime that I put into where I am today. So even though it maybe took me like a month, it really did take me 50 years because that's the experience I have leading into whatever it is I'm doing today. And so with that being said, I think just remember that all those things that we've done in our lives, you know, I don't regret any of it even if even if I'm not still doing a certain thing it's definitely aided to where I am right now you know being a manager in retail like definitely helps uh managing my own stuff now you know it's like I do project management on large-scale projects <laughs> you know my own and other people so you know I never thought I'd be a grant writer or a proposal writer or you know, any of these things. And that's another thing to keep in consideration, unless you're just sitting on a lot of money and you can hire people out for these things, you know, deciding to be a full-time artist is, you know, it, it is not an easy, it is not the easy like choice. I did not pick the easy choice, but it was the right one. So <laughs> I think that's a great way to end the show. I think that you wrapped that up very nicely and there's a lot of good, 
information for artists out there, not just emerging artists, but people who are doing this on a daily basis to unpack. And uh, I'm one of those. So I'm going to come back and listen to this a couple of times and, and, and get some of that info. But before we go, there's one question we like to ask all artists. In your practice, and we talked about music, what is the environment like in your studio while you're making? Do you have music playing? If so, oh, always. If so, what do you like to listen to? What's current? What What are you listening to now with this body of work? Uh, you know, I mean, it changes. I think um, I listen to so much music all the time. Um, it's, I would say, like 80% of my day, there's music going on, and the other 20% it's in my head. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it depends on my mood. So it's not necessarily the work that drives what I listen to and the work or the music doesn't necessarily drive what I'm working on. I think they're, they're often separate things, but I like to have music going. So, I mean, it could be anything from something heavy like Tool one day uh, to Radiohead to the Talking Heads. I could be listening to PJ Harvey. I mean, it just really depends i might be listening to something that's much more instrumental um and you've caught me in an in-between i'm i'm working on things uh leading up to a very large mural project so i'm kind of on pause right now in the studio while i'm working on administrative stuff for this mural project so i probably haven't been listening to as much music right now than I would be otherwise. Gotcha. Well, I'm a child of the 80s, and I heard a little bit of reference to some 80s in there, so I like it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Crystal. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate your time, and it's been very um, informative. We hope to run into you in person. I know um, Kevin probably will while you guys are at maybe at the closing um, reception. Uh I hope to... uh, to make it up to see your work in person. If not, it will definitely be the virtual tour for me. So. Awesome. Thank you. Well, for taking... I appreciate you just having me on today. Yeah. Thank you All for right. your time. All right. You All too. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.